We have all of these intersectionalities that we can sort of draw on. When we start to do that, then it's easier to start empathizing with the other. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I have got something to celebrate. We've got a special guest who drops by the pod. And then later on, we're going to sit down with Reverend Marta Fiorti and Dr. Mandy Todd, who are the co-host of Jesus Has Left the Building podcast. They recently had a three-part series titled Facing Our Fears, an anti-racism conversation with Reverend Dr. Anthony Scott. It's going to be a great pod, so stay tuned. Happy anniversary, Missy. Thanks. Happy anniversary to you as well. It is February 24th, and this is how many years? Um, 27. 27 years. It's hard to believe. It's been almost three decades. I basically got married when I was like 14. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not old enough to have been married 27 years. <laughs> that is so t- don't be telling people that. <laughs> <laughs> I really am not. I, w- I was very young when we You were married. young. We were I both was, young. Yes, we were both very young. Well, I mean, I was much younger than you, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, five years younger. Yes, uh, yes. But, uh, yeah, happy anniversary. Well, thanks. I appreciate so, that. Do you often think about that day 27 years ago? Um, Not often. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not... Not unless I'm forced to. <laughs> Not on the forefront of my mind. No, um, I have been thinking about it this week. I mean, it's just our anniversary is coming up, so it's been a little bit on my mind. Yeah. And, uh, so, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm like you. I mean, 27 years is not at the forefront of my mind every day I wake up. But when February rolls around, I do think of it fondly. It was a, a great day do for me. You, I okay. So yes, overall a fond day, but. I think in part because I was very young, didn't know what I was doing in terms of like planning a ceremony. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of planning the ceremony. Not knowing what you're doing is, I probably should have said yes. What's No, <laughs> no, no. First of all, I mean, yes, I did marry young, but you know, as well as anybody who knows me that I've always been like an old soul and not in the good way that people say sometimes they have old souls (laughs) like in the cranky old woman way right i mean weezer is your idol weezer is my idol yes so still magnolia's reference for everybody out there yes so anyways that that was me and my personality so it wasn't the getting married young necessarily it was just that the planning of the ceremony was largely left to my mother and your mother and and you Mm -hmm. you wrote our entire ceremony. I did. And that was very important to you. Yes. Because you were a seminary student at the time and thought you knew everything and how to construct the perfect wedding ceremony. (laughs) Right? Yes, I was so naive back then. I did not um, have any interest in that part of it, really. I was just concerned with, like, the after party and the dress and all of the things. So you wrote the ceremony. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you told me what was going to be in it 
Yes, there was going to be a staple that is a tradition within many wedding. No, sure. You you didn't know. <laughs> you told me the order of worship and all of this. I was like, oh, fine, 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 whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And what I, two things I didn't know that day until I walked into the chapel, which was a pretty small chapel. One, if I would show up, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true too. Um, but the first thing I didn't know is that we had it. Well, we had a videographer, which I did know was yes. going to be there. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just assumed he'd be like in the back of the chapel videoing mm-hmm. us from. You yeah. Know, with the telescope. Yeah. I don't know. Well, no, evidently he was placed on the stage, which again was pretty small. Right. And back then you didn't have like tiny cameras. It was a monstrosity. So I had this big camera lens basically in my face, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. And which I know you love the oh light my, shining on I, you. Our whole wedding video is ridiculous. It's my eyes darting back and forth between <laughs> you and this lens. And I have, I, I have crazy eyes anyways in pictures. And so I was so nervous to see this. Anyway, so we go through the ceremony and we get to the point and the, the minister who's performing the service says, okay, now we're all going to recite the Lord's Prayer. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> One one problem with oh, this. What's the problem, Missy? I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, in my upbringing, as we you know moved around and went to different churches, some I missed learning this key. Um, I don't know thing <laughs> that we're supposed to just obviously know. So mm-hmm. not only do I not know the thing that we're all supposed to be reciting during our wedding <laughs> ceremony, but there's also a camera the telescopic in my face lens is right there on your <laughs> recording me trying to watermelon my way <laughs> through. And explain what watermelon is. Well, that's what you sing when you don't know the words to the hymn. <laughs> watermelon, 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 watermelon. Don't you know this? I do know that. Okay. I just want to make sure everybody else knew okay. it. So anyways, I, I was mortified and immediately regretful that I had not paid attention when you told me what the order of the service was going to be and about all the meaningful um, things you put in and the thought that you put into it. So um, anyways, I was thinking about that today and kind of giggled to myself. Now... I do know the Lord's FYI. <laughs> well, finally, after 27 years, about time. I, I will never forget it. Let's just say that. That's hysterical. Well, there was a lot that went into our wedding day, uh, the planning. Uh, it was a very nice day in February. Got married in Central Texas. But I wrote my own vows, and I think you did as well. Or for I wrote them wedding? for you. No. No, you wrote. I was going to say, no, I didn't write my No, we had, tradi- other we had than traditional that, it was, it was traditional yeah, vows. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you you put it together and yeah. maybe tweaked it some. I don't sure. know. Absolutely. Maybe there was an extra obey in there somewhere that I didn't pay attention <laughs> to as well. Uh, well, I thought it would be fun, Missy, after 27 years of marriage, to rewrite my vows to you. So if you are willing to listen, I've got something I've jotted down. I'm very nervous. (laughs) You should be. I didn't bring anything. It's okay. I just can't wait to hear you respond to this. Okay. All right. Here we go. My beloved, my darling, (laughs) my precious, my inspiration, my rock, my thorn, my pebble, my hemorrhoid. You are the salty winds <laughs> beneath my wings. Thus, I pledge the following marriage promises on this holiest of days, celebrating the 27th year of our blessed and ruckus union. 
Therefore, please take these promises in the spirit of which they are delivered and don't kill me. Hire someone good to do it so that you can get the insurance money. I've listened to a few podcasts. I know how to do this <laughs> On our anniversary, may God grant us the strength and fortitude to endure the consequences of such a ridiculous and risky exercise. You do know I'm talking about the marriage and not this thing right here. <laughs> and, and or... Or both. Or both. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, so with those words, voiced with what hopefully will help detectives when I end up dead after this, I therefore promise the following. I promise to love you precisely how you instruct me to do so, which means leaving you alone with your murdery podcast and letting you totally control the thermostat. Got it. I'm good with that. I promise to cherish you even when picking up the 100th Diet Coke can over the weekend (laughs) and taking it to the recycle bin. I do have a problem. I promise never to leave you when you're sick because I am usually the cause of your headaches by using too many words before 10 a.m. and not enough afterward. True. I promise to be silent while you provide every freaking detail of a story, even generously withholding my ironclad solution to your problem. I promise to forsake all others, especially the smucks putting enmity between you and a good Sunday afternoon nap. Oh, man. I don't like those people. (laughs) I promise to listen to your sage advice and never use cookie dough air freshener in a public or private restroom. Oh, man, that's a good story. (laughs) We're going to have to tell. (laughs) I promise to speak up when you say, hey, owning a beagle would be a good idea. I promise to rise up and call you blessed for your ingenious and creative home repair skills, especially when they involve electrocuting me. Twice. Okay. But as, <laughs> while we're on the subject of creative home repair skills, we've never had to take out like a home improvement loan to fix my mistakes. True, true. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. I promise never to roll my eyes when I enter a room with Real Housewives or 40 Day Fiance on the television, knowing you're doing hard-hitting research for the pod. Okay, we have my sister and my cousin to blame for those. <laughs> okay. I promise never to call you from a grocery store again unless there is a clear and present danger of me buying the wrong cheese. Seriously? I'll call you tomorrow. Yeah, you will. <laughs> so with these, hopefully they're fun and hilarious, but I do want to make a few more promises. Missy, I do promise that listening to Christmas music is never a bad idea. It's not. I do promise to make certain you always have a warm hand on the cold streets of New York, Boston, or Washington, D.C. as we walk our favorite cities. I do promise to always have your margarita glass full, your rim salted, a plastic straw to drink from, and the swimming pool or hot tub ready for you to use. And I do promise, with all of my heart, mind, and soul, to obey your every command, because after 27 years of marital bliss, everyone knows you're the real brains behind this partnership. Happy anniversary. That was lovely. (laughs) You're welcome. That was so fun. Thank you. Yeah. I just thought right. I'd jot that down. Next year, I'll I'll bring some new vows myself. Okay. Well, I can't wait. That'd be 28. Wow. It's so crazy. I it can't believe crazy. we've been together so, that long. So lots of good stories in those vows. We'll have to tell those stories in the upcoming pods. But uh, after 27 years, what do you think uh, is the secret to our 
beloved I, I will tell you because people will, do ask me often, especially people who have children that have decided to get engaged at a very young age will, you know, come to me and say, oh my gosh, what are they doing? What are you, what's the secret? And I'll be very honest. You know what, Mitch? It's a crapshoot. <laughs> I honestly believe Sometimes that. Sometimes it's just dumb luck. It really, I don't know, maybe that's not the right answer, but whether you're 20 or 40, I just think it's a crap. I think for us to be married young, you either grow up together or you grow apart. And I don't know what the answer or the secret is to the growing up together. I really don't. I'm sorry. That's probably not very inspirational for this podcast, (laughs) but. (laughs) No, I think it's true. And I think probably that very fact, the acknowledgement that there is no secret formula the knowing that it takes a struggle every day, every week, every year, just knowing that life is messy and relationships are messy and I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Even though you're close to perfect. Uh, Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. That just the acknowledgement of that, I think is extremely important to make a successful marriage. And I say, and I know you don't always like it when I say this, but you know, I don't like to think of happily married because we're not always happily married, Mm -hmm. but I am content with our lives in the happy moments and also in the moments that are stressful and that are hard as we're working through those. So is it, are we always happily married? Well, no, but you know, in order to appreciate and enjoy the highs and the good times, you know, you also have to have come from the challenges that life brings. And I think you and I have somehow managed to do that thus far and we're going to keep you know, crossing our fingers and hoping for this crapshoot marriage continues for many years to come. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Wow. Raise your glass, folks. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, That is why I love you so much because you keep it honest. I mean. (laughs) Well, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you as well. Who is that? Someone's at the door. Let me go see. Oh my gosh, it is Reverend Starlet Thomas. Starlet, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. What it's brings you by? Our favorite pod neighbor, it Starlet. Reverend is. Starlet. Welcome. What's going on? Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're working on something that's not quite season four, but I'm hoping uh, that it will be pleasing to the ears. It's testing, testing, one, two, three. It's a Linton podcast series. And the first episode has already dropped, right? That's right. Excellent. So people can go wherever they consume their podcast and download it and listen to it. And it's fantastic. So tell our listeners a little bit about testing, testing one, two, three. And so it's a play on the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Test one, a bake sale for Satan. Test two, skydiving contest of sorts. (laughs) How high? I'll show you how high. Jump off of this temple. Why won't you, Jesus? And then test number three, why don't you bow down and worship me? Because what's what's a bit, why not a bit of satanic worship to throw it in? So it's a play on that. From from the bake sale to to satanic worship. (laughs) I'm intrigued. (laughs) Oh. 
Well, about. that sounds fascinating, yeah. Starlet. Thank you so much for putting this Lenten podcast together. I know it'll be so meaningful for our listeners. And this is something really, really special because you also have, of course, the Raceless Gospel podcast, and you've done a, an a Advent podcast prior to this one, but this one focuses in on Lent. So just, you know, I know I don't want to make you twitchy, Starlet, but is season four around the corner? <laughs> you've got me on the wire here it is it's something that we're working on it's body building uh five episodes head shoulders knees and toes and then we'll we'll close with bodybuilding itself but yes i'm excited about that as well this is just to whet your appetite and to help you to hold space for something that is well on its way Excellent. Well, you're my favorite podcast pastor. So thank you, Pod Neighbor, for stopping by today to tell us about your fantastic new project. I'm excited to follow along. Anytime you want to ring our doorbell, Starlet, just feel free to come on over. We'll have some uh, iced tea for you. We'll have, you know, some cookies and we'd just. Was well, yeah, that like to, a bake sale? Yeah, like a oh, bake sale. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, testing, testing. One, two, three. That's right. Thanks, Starla. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. So once again, that was our colleague, Reverend Starlet Thomas, our favorite pod pastor stopping by. Be sure to check out her latest little one-off podcast series, Testing, Testing, One, Two, Three, during the season of Lent, seven episodes, all less than 10 minutes. So a perfect little nugget for you this Lenten season. Absolutely. Well, you and I earlier this week uh, sat down with Marta and Mandy and just had a great conversation with them about their pod and their latest uh, series discussing race. So I think uh, the listeners are going to enjoy it. So stay tuned. Hey, listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got two very special guests with us, Reverend Marta Foriti and Dr. Mandy Todd. They've been friends and colleagues for over a decade. They've served together in United Church of Christ congregations in the Pikes Peak region, where they have learned from each other and have developed a unique co-ministry style that builds on their individual and collective strengths. With new adventures taking them in different physical locations, they maintain their collaborative ministry through the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast. With fearlessness and creativity, melding a rich combination of innovation and tradition, Marta and Mandy are committed to creating intentional gathering spaces within their congregational settings and the Jesus Has Left the Building community. Recently, they aired a three-part miniseries, Facing Our Fears, an anti-racism conversation with Reverend Dr. Anthony Scott. Marta and Mandy, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. Welcome. I just want to note, and I want to welcome everyone to the meeting of the M's. <laughs> That's right. Anyone it's who, the four M's. Anyone, oh, who knows, I love that. Yeah, anyone who knows me in real life knows I, I love alliteration. I love a good alliteration. So welcome to the Mitch, Missy, Martha, and Mandy meeting. <laughs> nice. Wow, nice. Very nice. <laughs> Which we happen to be recording on a Monday. Monday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if it was only in March, that would have been even better. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> in any case, thank you guys for being here. We're so excited to talk to you about this recent mini-series that you guys produced. It was so fabulous. Was I mean, great. so, so well done. 
I have to admit, I've Here's told uh, Cliff before we started recording today, I'm very nervous about this interview. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a confession before I lead into my first question. My confession is that I, I just... I'm always so appreciative of our interviewees who come from um, marginalized communities who are willing to come on here and talk to us about their experience um, and have conversations with us. When Mitch told me we were going to do this today, I was excited. And then the more I thought about the topic, I got very uncomfortable because I feel like it's three, you know, women of European descent sitting here talking about racism. Um, I often end up with my foot in my mouth. So <laughs> having this conversation <laughs> recorded makes me especially um, a nerve. You, you forgot but, to mention the brown guy. Well, we didn't know if we're going to let you into the conversation. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> thinking about it. Um, but I feel like it's an important conversation for us to have. And you ad addressed it a bit in the podcast miniseries about um, kind of having conversations in our communities, even when they're homogeneous. Can you... Tell our listeners why this conversation can also be fruitful and important, not only today, but even if you live in a community where you don't typically have access to a diverse group. Admittedly, I am actually kind of nervous too because we're not usually on this on this end of the conversation. <laughs> ah, good, we got you. And so you know, like my, my control issues are like you know seeping up everywhere. But um, thanks, Missy, for your confession. I think that confession is one of the first pieces for conciliation um, with any um, group that has had um, injustices or. Um, violence put upon them. And so that is the, the very first piece of that. Thinking about uh, uh, our, you know, our United Church of Christ context, particularly in the Rocky Mountain Conference, which is our regional, um, the way we organize regionally. And I know that in other Rocky, in other United Church of Christ conferences, they are more diverse. But in Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah, uh, they certainly are not. And, um, and we're trying to do this work all at the same time. I, I would say that in my experience, and, you know, that's all I can, I can speak from, um, is that it is so deeply important to begin to um, have those educational, um, to have those studies, those book studies, and those conversations um, within your contexts. One of the listeners that I appreciated so much from our season, um, Ritualizing Relationships, uh, who is a Latinx woman said, you don't have to go out and find people. You don't have to go out and find marginalized communities and bring them in, but rather figure out what the isms are within your community. Mm -hmm. And so one of part of the work is thinking about, we all have intersectionalities. We all have those sort of isms. And when we start to define that for ourselves and start to think about that, like I am a a female clergy person who is ordained in a tradition that is uh, dominated by the patriarchy. I am also highly educated, but I am the daughter of an immigrant. So we have all of these inter intersectionalities that we can sort of draw on. Um, and I think when we start to do that and we are start to be self-aware ourselves and start to think about that, then it's easier to start empathizing 
empathizing with the other. And I think it also builds those bridges a little bit. I don't know, Mandy, if you have anything else to add on to that. Yeah, no, I think that's all really good. And, um, you know, we, we have talked about this in a lot of different contexts. We, um, we have had a number of guests on our podcast who are, you know, from the margins in some way, whether it be um, race or gender, whatever. Um, but there's, there's work that we have to do. Um, so often we invite people in to talk about race, for example, before we've done work that we needed to do. And they actually end up getting harmed by the way we show up in that space. Mm. And so we talk a lot about doing that work on our own. And here's the deal. Like there's no good excuse at this point in 2022. Oh, it's 2023. It's 2023. <laughs> um, Last year or this at year. This point, in there's still no excuse. Um, right. <laughs> um, there are resources like out Amen. the wazoo, right? There, there are so many ways for us to be doing the work on our own. Um, and I know at Good Faith Media, you have all kinds of resources on your websites and your blog posts and all of that. We have some on our website, jhltv.com. Um, and, and you do a Google search and you can find literally anything. One of the things Anthony shared with us was Ibram Kendi's anti-racist deck, mm -hmm. which is these questions. You can pull a card. It's like, you know, fun, like a board game. You right. pull a card and everybody at the table, um, it opens up this conversation. Um, so if you're not doing the work and you're saying that it's because you're in a homogenous community, I don't actually believe you. <laughs> like you're not doing the work because you don't want to do the work, not because you don't have people around you who are diverse. And I think that's so important because both of those are unique and distinct spaces. And so when we're engaging with uh, other ethnicities and minorities, we're holding that space as sacred and having those conversations on a level that we would not have in our own communities. And all of those conversations, both within our community and outside of our community, help us reflect and form our understanding in hopes of correcting any kind of racism that we hold. And as you so rightly pointed out in the podcast, we're all racist. Uh, the four of us sitting here are racist. And, and so what behaviors and ideas that, that I hold, uh, both of those conversations, while they're distinct in nature, are important to the formation of who we are. So th those are, thank you so much for sharing those. So Mandy, in the series, um, you guys broke it down into three parts, disrupting, discrediting, and dismantling racism. Can you talk about the significance of each one of those, but also the importance of them working together as a whole as we do the work? Yeah, so this is um, a framework that was uh, really created by Reverend Dr. Anthony Scott, and um, he so graciously shared this framework with us. So those are his three words, but the basic gist is that um, we disrupt, and I actually think of like disrupting as kind of interrupting, like you, you, you put up a, even sometimes it's just a momentary wall, but someone does something or says something that you recognize to be racist and you don't just let it slide. You, um, jump in in some way to interrupt, disrupt that from just being this free normalized, um, behavior. Um, in discredit, the example, um, that we actually talked quite a bit about is, 
um, actually accreditation for uh, colleges and universities, this idea of giving credit um, to an idea and racism has got a lot of credit right now. And so the idea is to discredit racism to um, again, to unnormalize it, to make people ask those questions like, why are we giving this institution or this idea or this, whatever it is, this power so that it holds, it holds so much over us all the time. Somewhat like, you know, our beloved institutions um, that sometimes are problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in dismantle, Obviously, this is thinking about, I I think Marta came up with this idea of like the Ikea um, things, you know, there's all these multiple parts and you have this little tiny Allen wrench and you're trying to put this thing together. And so when we dismantle, we're, we're taking that all apart and recognizing that we probably have some parts that actually just need to go in the trash. So as we, um, as we take apart these traditions and institutions and um, all, all of these things that we love, as we take them apart and we try to put them back together, we have to be really like, I don't know, Marie Kondo with it and make sure that it um, is valid and important and helpful uh, for what we're trying to build moving forward. Mm. Well said. Yeah, dismantle. You know, often people, uh, I think, feel defensive around that word because it um, can be aggressive. Like, you know, I'm thinking of like a three-year-old who goes and like, you know, uh, rips down an entire block structure and it just all comes like crashing down quickly. And so for some reason that Ikea came to me because it's sort of neat (laughs) Um, and it has parts. And it has parts and there's an Allen wrench. And so, uh, but racism, racism is worth dismantling and it also doesn't have to be ultra aggressive. I mean, it can be, and that's fine if it is, but it actually doesn't have to. We just need to take that Allen wrench and start to undo the parts. Wow. I love that. Well, Dr. Scott in the second episode defines racism and I'm going to be honest with you, I had never heard this definition before, but it was remarkable. So I want to get it right. So forgive me, but I'm going to read that exact quote. Dr. Scott defined racism as the dealing conjunction of ways of being, ontology, ways of knowing, epistemology, and ways of meaning making, which is psychology, derived from one racialized group being described as normative for all persons without regard for ethnicity, heritage, or racial identity. And If one falls short of the ethnocentric ideal in mind, body, and spirit, then racist will seek to correct or destroy you. That is powerful. And, you know, I remember when you heard that definition on the podcast on that particular episode, you you had a visceral response to it. So tell us a little bit about your response to this definition, and maybe some examples of how this plays out in our world today. Marta, let's start with you. Well, it was 
it, it's a really hard definition. Oh my gosh. First of all. Yeah. But that's because, you know, Anthony is super duper smart. And, you know, we're going to continue to have a few episodes dropped of other groups of people talking about racism and even um, uh, commenting on that def- definition and what they think about it and bringing their own definition. So I do think that that is a phenomenal definition. And I think at the, at the end of the day that in this country, in this westernized individualistic culture of the U.S., um, we are all drenching in a culture that was created by the most powerful and privileged, right? Mm-hmm. And so we are um, automatically, it is normative, normative for us to behave in the way that Um, And I think that goes back to the ontology and it goes back to what are the, what are those other words he used? Um, Epistemology and psychology. Yes. Is that we are all like automatically, we don't even know it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's almost impossible. And it's, and it's not just almost impossible for us European descent people. It is, it is almost impossible for um, African Americans in this country and for all other people to um, begin to um, undo what is the master narrative, what is normative and say, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, why do we think it has to be that way? Um, it can be another way. And just because uh, a group of powerful white people um, decided that this was the norm and this was the right way doesn't mean it has to be. Yeah. And Mandy, I want to ask you to kind of pick up on that last part of that definition, because that was just so gripping to me when he talks about if we if the, you know, if someone falls short of that ethnocentric ideal in mind, body, and spirit, then racist racism will seek to correct you or destroy you. And when I heard that, I instantly recalled a conversation I had with an African-American father in Washington, D.C. When I was quoting Dr. King about the arc of the moral universe, and it always bends towards justice, you know, but it, it does take a long time. And he stopped me dead in my tracks and said, well, all that's well and good, and all due respect to Dr. King, I need that thing to bend in a 90-degree direction because my children are dying in the streets. Yeah, and I think um, that that part, that last part of the definition, I think is what um, what makes this definition really unique, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and the um, example that we talked about in the first episode um, is the example of Elijah McLean, who um, for Marta and Anthony and I, um, you know, is close to home. uh, Elijah McLean was killed by police in Aurora, Colorado, um, which is 70 miles from Colorado Springs where Marta and I um, have done our ministry. And um, the, the, the explanation here of how, why that last part of the definition is important and I think valid and true is that um, Elijah McLean and many other black men who have been killed, um, particularly by police, are, they, they are not resisting. Mm-hmm. They are not trying to, um, you know, 
bully their way out of a situation. Elijah McClain begged for people to stop touching him and made sure that they knew he would not do them harm, that he was a gentle person, that he, you know, he was trying to conform. He was trying to say, no, look, I have the qualities you think I should have the quote unquote white qualities of being, I'm not violent. I'm gentle. I'm not a hoodlum. I'm just trying to get this tea for my friend. I'm trying to take care of my people. And he was still murdered. And so, um, you know, we can think about George Floyd calling out for his mother. Um, They are not resisting what is being done to them. And yet they are still killed Um, because there's no way for a person with black or brown skin to actually have white skin. Mm. And that is, is the ultimate supremacy. Mm. Absolutely. So Dr. Scott also discusses the concept um, of Caucasian catharsis, which is when white People put themselves into a space with people of color to talk about race to make them feel better. I had not heard this term before, but um, found it very interesting and I wanted to know how can we continue to do the work of being in those spaces? I do think it's important to to be in, in places and spaces to hear from people of color, but how can we push ourselves beyond that and not kind of fall victim or fall complacent into that catharsis that he talks about? And I, w- I was brought back to your comments during the series of becoming comfortable in discomfort, kind of pushing ourselves more, allowing ourselves to kind of marinate in that space of being a little bit uncomfortable because we, we need to. So Marta, how can we do that? Yeah, so one, you know, one of the things that early on, um, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., in that part of the world, and um, and my college roommate was a black woman for all four years, um, and so that was really formative for me was to be in those relationships, and also just because I had proximity to a multicultural community and that my, my closest friend that I lived with was black was not good enough. And it wasn't good enough that I could just say that. And so uh, that took me a long time because when you grow up in such a multicultural place, um, you're like, oh, well, I mean, this is no big deal. Like I'm, I'm around all kinds of different types of people all of the time, but um, being around those people and not actually doing the work and naming it and opening yourself up for some vulnerability um, is, is not really doing the work. And I think that for me, you know, being in Colorado for 13 years um, in a, you know, very, very um, white state, um, when I am in relationship with um, other, other cultures and other people and the black community, I actually um, have started to name it like, hey, Anthony, I don't actually have all the right words. And I am not the most phenomenally articulate human if I have not prepared for it. And I am so sorry if I get the words wrong. And I, on a regular basis, um, remind him of all of the ways I've actually messed up. 
Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like, Hey, Anthony, remember when I said this, or, Hey, remember when I said this, I didn't, I didn't mean to, and I'm so sorry. And, um, and, and for me, that is a practice that has been really helpful for me because then it opens up a safety. And so it becomes safe for him not to be defensive towards me, but to say, yeah, you know, maybe this is, you know, how it could happen a little bit better, or maybe this is, or he, or he tells a whole story that has to do with a big fat mistake, but it's not really like, he's not really going after me, but he's really actually teaching me in that moment because I've created this space for that kind of education to happen. Um, When we, you know, one, one person, one scholar at one point said to me, when we don't, um, when we ignore something completely, we have privilege. We have the privilege to do that. And when we completely go and knock it all down, we also have the privilege to do that. So what does it mean to sort of come into the center of it and create space? And I think that is what has been helpful for me. I I mean, another little example and that I've named, and this doesn't have to do with um, racism particularly, but it has to do with um, the trans community. And I have, I have a good friend who is a trans woman and she has said that my mistakes and mess ups and microaggressions are like little paper cuts. Mm. And so they're not these huge wounds that I'm like, trying to be super mean, but if we don't catch ourselves, a million little paper cuts can hurt, right? Like that really sucks. And so I am just constantly aware of how I might give someone a paper cut and just thinking about, and then if I do like, oops, I just hurt you, didn't I? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that is, I think how I would answer it. That's a great answer. And so, Mandy, in episode three, Dr. Scott talks about the importance of not only dismantling racism, but doing it in appropriate ways. And he said something that really struck me when he concluded, we need to address systems of oppression that are deliberative work and not just what looks different. And when he said that, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, he's so right, because, you know, a lot of times we pat ourselves on the back at the end of slavery, but because we didn't do the real work, we get uh, the antebellum South and segregation. Well, then we pat ourselves on the back, you know, and then all of a sudden we get an unjust prison system, you know, and it seems like we never really engage in the real work of dismantling racism. We're just always wanting to move things around to make us feel better. And, and, you know, things look different, but, He's talking about deliberative work. What can what kind of work can we really do to institute change? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, that's that's a huge question, and I don't know that I have, <laughs> um, you know, real answers yeah, in sure. that. But I think, um, I I think it goes back to that idea of catharsis. Like, honestly, mm. if you think you're doing this work and you feel good, it feels cathartic, you're probably not doing the work. (laughs) Because if you're doing the work, you're going to be uncomfortable. If you are at a point where you feel like, oh, I can pat myself on the back because now we have five black folks in our church, and so we're a multicultural 
um, church now, mm-hmm. uh, if you feel good about that and you're not continually asking questions and reflecting back and continuing to move forward, then I think you've missed the boat. And Anthony, or shifting the liturgy. That. Mandy, that's like a very right. concrete way to look at it is how do you shift like our patriarchal right. so, institutional so church and you, worship? Right. It's not just about um, having people sitting in your pews, if that's, you know, what you're what you're doing, if you're doing church. Um, it's about changing who your community actually is. So not it's not assimilation. We don't expect you to just come in and be us. Um, it is who are you and what do you bring to this community and how are you going to change us? Um, and I think that, you know, is a, the church is a microcosm of the wider world, right? If we get rid of slavery, but we end up with Jim Crow, what we've just done is said, okay, well, you can come on in, but we're not going to actually we're just going to rearrange the pieces. We're not actually going to change anything and you're still going to be oppressed and marginalized. And we do that in our churches and we do that in our schools. We do that in, in places where we do get excited about diversity. um, But we're not letting that diversity change us. And so I don't know if you're comfortable you need to do some more reflection. And and that's a huge part of what Anthony talks about is this idea of constant reflection. Mandy, could you give uh, Ron DeSantis a call and let him know that it's okay to be uncomfortable talking about race? <laughs> yeah. I, I do not have him on speed dial. <laughs> Sorry, I digressed. Uh, I just had to get that in. <laughs> so in piggybacking Martha on what you just brought up a few minutes ago and also, uh, you know, a theme throughout the, I think it was episode two, you guys talked about, but it's the check boxes. Like you said, you know, I, well, I have, you know, a black friend, I have a gay friend and the image that popped in my mind, I don't know if you guys remember this from childhood, but remember in Sunday school, the charts where every Sunday you went to Sunday school, if you brought your Bible, you got a sticker. If you brought, if you memorized your verse, you got a sticker. If you did this and in my church, it was once you got so many stickers like that, the Sunday school teacher would take you out for ice cream. (laughs) In my current story, I envision them taking me out for a cocktail, but, <laughs> that's another story. but I was just thinking about that when you're thinking of checkbox, like, oh, I have a black friend or oh, I have a gay friend or, you know, a trans friend or whatever. And I think that's just our tendency. We want to score it. We want to rate it. We want to measure it. We want a scorecard, right? But I just think that one of the things you bring up that kind of speaks against that is our need to be in community, which part of that is being you know, includes being honest with ourselves, honest with others, to being vulnerable, to recognize our biases, to self-correct as we go, as you guys have talked about. None of these can be quantified on a chart, right? So I'm going to kind of throw a question back at you that, that um, one of you posed in, in the episode, which is what then is our responsibility as people of faith? How do we let go, which if that's something that is so ingrained in us to mark the tallies, you know, along the way, and to affect real change. What did Anthony say? 
I think it was one of you that answered the question. Actually, I I think um, I think Mandy actually asked that because you know in our um, in sort of this white supremacist capitalistic corporate model that we were all taught like this is what success looks like, and so this is how you have to do it, and there is a very particular process, and I think this work does not have a template. <laughs> like you said, there's no check boxes and there's no specific process. And in recognizing that, it's sort of uh, discrediting white supremacist ideals by saying there isn't one way to do this. There isn't um, a very specific process. You know, um, and you'll hear this on one of the episodes, and I actually just use it with my 18-year-old son, this metaphor, and he absolutely loved it, by the way. But um, uh, a local pastor who is a Latinx woman said the work is like flushing a toilet bowl. The water <laughs> comes from all different ways, right? Like there's not just one ways, and it swishes all around, and it's a total chaotic thing and sometimes the is still there and so you have to keep on flushing it <laughs> excuse my language no sometimes yeah. you have to scrub a little <laughs> you have to keep on flushing it oh my gosh my 18 year old was like mom that's so great yeah. like it totally that image made so much sense I for him that. Potty humor always works. And so I'm going to take this opportunity since you took, since you went there to ask you guys, which one of you can tell me or can recall how bad breath is like racism that comes from the pot. (laughs) Oh, I love that too. Uh, Mandy, do you want to do that? Yeah. So, um, I'm not going to remember her name now. Um, but a comedian on Instagram, um, talks about how, um, racism is like bad breath. And the thing about bad breath is that it's, it's not like if somebody tells you, you have bad breath, they're not telling you you're a horrible human being with no hope for getting better. They're telling you to go brush your teeth. You can change it. You can fix bad breath and you can fix racism in your life. And, you know, again, that constant, like you have to brush your teeth every day if you don't want bad breath. You have to do anti-racist work. You have to be actively anti-racist to make sure that you don't continue to do racist things. Um, yeah, it's great. I, I thought that. that was great. I loved it. I won't ever forget it. And now I've got two <laughs> little life truth nuggets. That's right. That'll preach. I tell that you. will <laughs> preach. That will preach. Uh, well, Mandy and Marta, thank you so much for joining us at Good Faith Weekly. If you want to know more about Jesus Has Left the Building, you can go to their website at jhltb.com or subscribe to their podcast uh, wherever you listen to your pods. But Mandy and Marta, before we let you go, we've got one. One last question that Missy wants to ask. Okay, Mandy, we'll start with you. As you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of our conversation today and the work that you do, what is your more to tell? My more to tell is this idea of um, embracing the gray in the world. Nothing is black and white. There are 
actually no answers. We say that on the podcast all the time. Um, we ask a lot of questions and we have very few answers. Um, so get comfortable with the questions and don't rely so much on the answers. Mm, love, that. love that. All right, Marta. I think what I want to say is that we are in no way, shape, or form even close to being experts on this topic. Ah, oh, there you go. And that we are so ridiculously privileged to be able to share our platform with people that have um, amazing talent and stories and um, come on and teach teach us so much about about the world and uh, so many topics like it is so rich and so beautiful and that I think that's our biggest value is sharing that platform and hearing those stories and and that's my favorite part is being in relationship with people not necessarily um, being the smartest or the most experted person. I love that. I just love being a part of a community where you two are involved in that community. Your voices are important to hear. The voice of Dr. Scott is important to hear. And we try to amplify every voice that we encounter because this is such important work. So thank you to both of you for what you do. It's just remarkable. And we just give you a big round of applause. Their website is jhltb.com and their podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building. Make certain to subscribe. It is worth a subscription. So Mandy, Marta, thank you so much for being with us. Thank Thank you. you. Missy, I don't know about you, but when we have guests on that talks about racial justice or anti-racism, I'm always left wanting more because I realize there's so much work that I have to do personally in regards to this conversation. I agree. I feel like there's much to be gleaned from Others, there's much that we need to do on our own, as they alluded to, is that um, there are no more excuses in this day and age. Even if you're not exposed to a diverse group of people, whether that be socioeconomic or through um, ethnicity or whatever the case may be, gender or sexual orientation, there's no excuse anymore. No, there's absolutely not. We all have the responsibility to educate ourselves on uh, marginalized communities, to so that we can enter into spaces and not I be a traumatic presence for others to be more understanding, to um, be more aware. I just feel like there was a lot of, of obviously in our backgrounds education that was lacking, and and you know, to put all of this on, on on the schools and the teachers isn't exactly fair because you can. Even in a perfect world, if we were teaching actual history in schools the right way it's still not enough. I feel like we still have work to do. I think there are so many different and unique conversations that we need to still have. We need to have conversations with people who are from different cultures and ethnicities so that we can learn from one another. You know, we're big on interfaith dialogue and the importance of understanding one another's faiths. I think The same can be true with our cultures and ethnicities, understanding each other in the context in which each of us have been brought up in, the traditions that we hold dear, the uh, 
the, the things in life that shaped us and molded us through our life. And then also it's important for us to have these conversations even within our own communities. And I know that makes some people very uncomfortable, but these conversations must not stop. Not only do we have a responsibility to educate ourselves, but we have the responsibility to educate those around us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our churches. And so we can't let the conversation stop and cease because we're always growing. We're always finding places where we can do better. And that's why I really, really enjoy these conversations that we overheard with Marta and Mandy and Dr. Scott, and then the one we just had with the co-host of Jesus Had Left the Building. Yeah, there was a point that we talked about in our interview that they talked about in their series about Caucasian catharsis, which yeah. just really stood out to I me. I never heard that term before. I hadn't yeah. either. It makes perfect sense. But I, I think how many times have I been guilty of that? Like, oh, well, I watched this webinar. Oh, well, I read that book. So I'm good. I, you know, I've, I've kind of got that on my scorecard and, and I'm, I'm well informed now. And, and, you know, we should all be lifelong learners about many things. And this is just one that's very, it's just an issue that's very important. I've come to a point in my uh, academic career, my lifelong journey of uh, learning in the fact that no matter if it is my understanding of God and the divine engagement with humanity or issues such as race, I can never know enough. I will never get to a day where I think I know it all or I've got all the knowledge that I have, can ascertain and I've got all the answers. That is a lie. That is a lie that has been being sold throughout history. Knowledge is important. Knowledge continues to help us grow. But with every answer, there are two to three questions on the other side of that answer. And so we continue to ask these questions. We continue to prod. We continue to try, in the words of the founders, to make ourselves a more perfect union as a country and a more perfect person as an individual, knowing that we'll never achieve it but it never should stop us from trying. Right. We can't become complacent. Absolutely. We have to continue on and continue to learn and continue to try to see um, the world through other people's eyes and other people's perspectives and understand their stories and not let fear hold us back. I know just growing up and, and through nobody's fault, I just grew up in a pretty, you know, white, you know, the white neighborhoods, the white sure. schools, and it didn't have a lot of diversity around me. And so as I came up, like anything different was fearful and not for any other reason that it was different and I didn't understand. So that's one thing that I'm a little bit embarrassed about is how late I came to the understanding of different isn't to be feared. You know, it's, it's just something that, that is, you know, somebody who's, who came from a different culture, like you said, a different culture or a different ethnicity or a different religion or a different, whatever the case may be. Right that the onus is on us to Absolutely. educate ourselves and not on someone who's been already traumatized and hurt to continue to come to the table to tell us what their experience is, that we have to do some of that on our own. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. We hope that you have a great weekend. And Missy? Yes. Happy anniversary. Thanks. Happy anniversary to you too. We'll see everybody next week.
You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. Mm-hmm.